Glad you can gather with us. Uh, if, you're, if you're new here with us, the middle portion of our gathering time, we spend uh, looking into the Word of God, into the Bible. And so we're going to do that. Um, you might notice that our sermon series for the summer is Proverbs. So we're going to be today in Proverbs 16, uh, 18 through 20. That's going to be our starting place. Uh, our, our topic, though, is, is pride and humility. And just at the front end, uh, I, I want to just preface all of this by saying it's always a bit of a kind of a precarious thing to speak about pride with any sense of integrity, right? Uh, so, so I just want you to know, look, if, I mean, if you were to talk to the people in my life, uh, they would have stories of pride. They would have stories of, of how quick I am to prioritize myself rather than them. Uh, they would have stories of my tendency to put myself first. So I'm always in my own head, that's, that's me in my pride, and my guess is that the people in your life would probably have some stories like that too. That's, that's the reality of what it means to be a human being. However, I don't, I don't want to be prideful, and my hope is that you don't want to be prideful. And so as we, as we step into this, this topic, this kind of personal, thorny topic of pride and humility... Uh, my prayer is going to be that we do it recognizing the reality of pride, even as we talk about pride, but also seeking the hope of humility, a humility that, that comes through the Word of God. So I'm going to pray for us to that end. Uh, I'm also going to pray for a family in our church. Uh, we just got word this morning that there's a, a family, the Volts family. Uh, their young son, uh, Warren, suffered a, a head injury. He's got a very a severe concussion, uh, kind of a, I think, minor fracture of the skull. And so I just saw Peter now and said he's doing well, but I want to pray for them, um, Warren's and Children's Hospitals. So we'll pray for all that, and then we'll get going. Uh, Lord, I want to begin by praying for the Volts family. Uh, Lord, we are thankful that the injury is not more severe. Uh, Lord, we pray for all of the medical staff there, the nurses, the doctors, everyone treating Warren, Lord, that they would have wisdom to know how to treat him best and that uh, his recovery would be quick. Uh, we just pray, Lord, for the family. We pray, God, for just a sense of your presence, a sense of peace, uh, Lord, that uh, this would not lead to anxiety or worry uh, any more than it already has. And uh, God, we do again pray that, that Warren, would come to a, Warren would come to a full recovery and, Lord, that uh, he would be able to come home soon. So we, we pray that for, for Peter and Karen and, and the whole family this morning. And we want to pray for us, Lord. I pray, God, as we enter into this topic of pride and humility, Lord, would you, would you help us to do it in a humble way? Would you help us, Lord, to have uh, open minds and soft hearts to hear from your word? God, would you uh, use me in spite of my own sin, in spite of my own pride, Lord? Would you, would you speak to your people and speak to us through your word? And God, we pray that this would be a really fruitful time. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I wanted to begin uh, by telling a story of, of the effects of pride of the, the fallout that often comes uh, from pride. Uh, these kinds of stories are not uh, hard to come by. Uh, they're all over the place. But I was listening to an interview uh, not long ago, and there was something that kind of piqued my interest. Uh, the person being interviewed is a man named David Milch. Not sure if you know that name. He's a fairly well-known television writer and kind of a show developer. Uh, he's, he's won a lot of awards. Uh, here's a picture of him winning an Emmy Award. Uh, there he is. Uh, he started with his career in the Hill Street Blues, then he co-created uh, NYPD Blue, and his most recent show uh, was called Deadwood on HBO. None of those shows are particularly uh, uplifting, morally or spiritually, uh, but uh, he, he clearly can write. He, he knows how to write. He's won a number of uh, Emmys, not, not only that, writing awards. 
Uh, but in the interview I was listening to, the interviewer asked him, you know, about his achievements and said, what are you, of all the things that you've done, all the shows that you've done, what are you most proud of? And his response I found interesting. I'm going to read you what he said. Uh, at first, he kind of he stumbled around a bit. And then he said this. Uh, he said, look, uh, I'm not professing humility here, but it's just, it's just there's a need for someone with as many character defects and bad habits as I have not to allow himself any pride. For me, I start with pride, and then I end up under a bridge with three strangers this, tonight. He said, I don't let myself be proud. I just try to keep hitting the ball straight, and I do my work every day. And I thought to myself, that, that sounds like a man who's been stung by pride. It sounds like a man who's experienced the fallout of pride in his life. And in fact, that's, that's very true. As I did a little bit of reading about David Milch, Realized for all of his brilliance, uh, he, he has done a lot of foolish things. He struggled uh, with addiction, struggled with heroin, struggled with alcoholism. But also, he, he's a man who uh, struggles with gambling. And it turns out that David Milch has gambled away all of his fortune that he, that he earned uh, in TV. Uh, up to $100 million he has lost at the track. He's a man who has, he knows what comes from pride. And, and since that point, the, the sting of it, the, the humbling that occurred to him, then it means now that when, you know, when they ask him about his achievements, ask him about all the things he's done, he doesn't want to put much of a focus on himself. You get the sense he doesn't want to trust himself anymore because he knows where that will lead. That humbling, that, that perspective is one that Proverbs wants for us, hopefully without all of that pain and loss. Proverbs seeks to help us make a connection between pride and, and the fallout from it. And so we get both, both the connection between pride and its, and its effects, and then also humility and its effects. And so that's going to be our goal this morning, is to, to dig in and see what the biblical view of both pride and humility is and how that can help us uh, to be humbler in our own lives. So as I said, uh, Proverbs 16 is where we're going to begin, kind of base camp. I'm going to read verses 18 to 20 just to start us off. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can read there or it'll be up on the screen. This is God's word to us this morning. Verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So that's it to begin with. Just three Proverbs, all obviously to do with pride and humility uh, as sort of a, an overarching statement, kind of a, a theme statement for us this morning, I wanted to really get the, the complexity and the weight of these two topics, and so I'd, I thought we'd start with this. Uh, pride is bad, uh, humility is good. Okay, that's where we're going to start. Pride is bad, humility is good, and we're going to seek to know uh, how bad and, and why and how good and why. So number one, pride is bad. Uh, the bad parts are fairly obvious from, from the text. If you look at verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Obviously, these are not good things uh, in any situation, but especially in our personal life. I thought a definition of pride might be helpful. Uh, very often we think of, of pride as mostly to do with thinking of ourselves, right? When you say pride, it means I'm, I'm totally obsessed with myself, which is true. But from a biblical point of view, it's more than just that. It's not only that our eyes are focused on ourselves it's that we're not looking at God uh, at all, or, or very, very little. So here's, uh, 
Here's a definition for you. With pride, we see ourselves and God in the wrong perspective. So when, when we seem very big and God seems very small, that is pride. When our voice is loud and clear in our head, but God's voice seems weak and distant, that's, that's pride. When our way seems right and God's way seems foolish, that also is pride. Uh, pride is the source, the origin of, of all sin. When you look at the story of the Garden of Eden, with, with human beings fall into sin, uh, what you know, if you look carefully, is it's not, it's not just the eating of the fruit that was the, the first sin. That was the disobedience going against what God said is best. But even before that, there was a thought that must have entered uh, Eve's head and Adam's head, which is God doesn't know what's best for us. That is a thought filled with pride. And as soon as that, that thought, they allowed it to enter their heart and their mind, all was lost. That was the beginning of sin for the, the human race. And so there is nothing more dangerous or destructive for any human being than pride. C.J. Mahaney uh, has written a, a small book called Humility. And uh, he says this, Pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. So we want to look and see what is it about pride that makes it our greatest enemy? What is it that makes it so dangerous? So we're going to look at two things when it comes to pride that, that affect us, that are harmful to us. Number one, pride blinds us to our real nature. Now, understanding the nature of human beings uh, is essential. It's essential for us to, to understand ourselves, essential for us to understand each other, to help each other. Uh, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, great decades. Um, during that time, there was kind of a buzzword that, that people talked about a lot, especially when it came to kind of raising kids and what's, what's best for them. And that buzzword was self-esteem. Do you remember that? If you were, if you were alive back then, self-esteem. That was what everyone pushed, everyone talked about. The idea of self-esteem is, look, the problem with people is that we don't like ourselves enough. We don't approve of ourselves enough. If we, if we could just be happier with ourselves, then, then things would be better. And this was adopted by all levels of, of government agencies. In fact, in California, in 1986, they founded, uh, the state legislature of California founded the California Task Force to promote self-esteem and personal and social responsibility. This was a big deal. This was to be the answer for a lot of the problems in California. One of the assemblymen, John Vasconcelos, he really believed that this would help. He, he, he felt that if that if the citizens of California, if their self-esteem could be raised, that that would help to deal with a lot of the drug problems and all sorts of other social problems. And so they push this in the schools, push this in the social programs. The problem is that as the years went by, people started to notice a, uh, a gap between all of the self-esteem that was being pushed on the population and, and the crime rates. The crime rates actually did not go down. <laughs> They were about the same, or, or they went up, it got worse. In fact, as the years went by, people began to, to see a discrepancy between all the claims of self-esteem and what actually happened. Uh, in 2002, the New York Times uh, published an article called The Problem with Self-Esteem. And in it, uh, they cited a study done by two, uh, two guys, Nicholas Emler and Roy Baumeister. Uh, they studied uh, men in prison for violent crimes, and they put them through self-esteem tests to, to see their level of self-esteem. And uh, here's what they found. Uh, this is from Emler. He says, the fact is, we put antisocial men through every self-esteem test we have, and there's no evidence for the old psychodynamic concept that they secretly feel bad about themselves. 
these men are racist or violent because they don't feel bad enough about themselves. Which, if you think about it, I mean, that seems kind of obvious. Right? If these guys are, are being abusive and harmful towards others, that means that they think very little of the others around them and they think a lot about themselves, which is the definition of pride. It's, it's not that we need more self-esteem. The reality also is that this isn't just true for those in prison for violent crimes. This is true for all of us. This is, this is the reality of our, our default nature. I mean, don't you find it very, very easy to think about yourself? I mean, I think about myself all the time. I'm fascinated with myself, I must say. <laughs> I always think about what I'm, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm hoping for. I think about how I came off in certain situations. Did they like me? Did they not like me? What can I do better so they like me more? I'm always thinking, I'm always in my own head, always in, you know, evaluating, constantly taking my, my emotional temperature. You know what's hard for me to do? Put myself in someone else's head, someone else's point of view. That takes energy and effort. I have to remind myself to think about the people in my life. It takes energy to be empathetic. It's not, it's not natural because in my own heart of hearts, I also, I'm prideful. This is the nature, the real, the reality of human nature. And pride doesn't just enable this. It doesn't just drive this. It also, it blinds us to it. I mean, if, it, if you can think of a time when someone has accused you of being prideful, probably your reaction is like mine, is shock. What? Me? What are you talking about? I didn't do that because of pride. I did it and I have a whole bunch of other reasons. Even though we, we know that we're in our own head all the time, we, we very often react that way and say, I can't believe you would say that about me. We're blind. We see this in our, in our verse, verse 18. There's a, a term, it says there, a haughty spirit. There's a haughty spirit. That, that means that we're very high on ourselves. And when we're high on ourselves, we're low on everyone else. That's, that's the dynamic that happens in the human heart when it comes to our, our pride. In fact, another proverb, Proverbs 14, 12, says it like this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Aren't there so many things that seem right to us? Other people might be saying something different. The word of God might be saying something different. But we, we know, man, I, I figured this out. This feels right. It just feels good. I'm going to go with my gut on this one is what we say. And that's part of the problem. That's part of what perpetuates this pridefulness in us. Let me ask you, what, what's your process for purchasing something online? Think, think of going to Amazon. We do it all the time. What do you do? You look for the, the product. You look for the price. And the next thing you probably look at are the reviews. Right? You want to buy a toaster oven? Does this toaster oven toast evenly? Does it toast well? What's the star rating? I want a four-star rating if I'm going to buy a toaster oven. Maybe four and a half would be much better. I'll accept a four. What do you think that your Amazon star review would be about the life decisions that you've made thus far? Like not from you, from the people in your life. And not the decisions you made with help or with like in, in prayer, but just like you going with your gut. What do you think? Like a three a three would be generous, I think, right? Maybe a two. Isn't it interesting to realize that we, we are open to a lot more external input when it comes to something like buying a toaster oven, but when it comes to our own life, we very often just ignore everything around us and go with what we think is best. Proverbs says this is a big mistake. 
This is pride. Look what Proverbs 28, 26 says. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. See, pride, pride blinds us to our own nature, which is, which is foolish, which is corrupt, which is sinful. We operate under the idea that we got things figured out when the Bible says again and again, look, we don't. More than that, we look at our life and we can see that we don't. See, pride blinds us and, and because of that, then the second thing is that pride leads us down a road of destruction. That, that's the connection that we see very clearly uh, in 18. Again, pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before the fall. We can see this evidence all around us. Uh, here's another academic, so not from a biblical point of view, just from looking at the evidence that exists in the world. Cordelia Fine uh, is this uh, woman's name. She's a psychologist, and she wrote a book uh, called A Mind of Its Own, How Your Brain Distorts and Deceives. Here's one quote from her. She says, your unscrupulous brain is entirely undeserving of your confidence. It has some shifty habits that leave the truth distorted and disguised. And what she points to are a number of the ways that we're wired. And I would say that we've been uh, miswired through our sin. For example, in, do we not prioritize immediate pleasure rather than long-term good? I, isn't that why we, we eat what we do? Isn't that why we buy so much on credit? Because we, we like it now. It feels good to have it now. Doesn't feel good later. Now is good. Our brain keeps telling us. It, it reinforces the idea that now is the best. In fact, that's why we, we would stay in relationships that aren't good for us. Why? Because it, it feels good to have someone, even if they're not the best for us. See, this is an aspect of pride. It, it leads us to continually make poor decisions. The, the evidence is there. The question for us is, are we really interested in identifying this aspect of ourselves? Are we really interested in understanding our role in the turmoil in our lives? Are we really interested in, in seeing the connection between these small-scale uh, evidences of destruction in, in our life right now and the future destruction that will come in the larger scale of eternity? There's a through line there. The things that we see falling apart in our own wisdom, that, that points us to an ultimate sense of of destruction and, and falling before a holy and perfect God. See, Proverbs 14, 12, again says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That's not just momentary death, that's e eternal death. It reminds me of some words of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. He's speaking to them about, about the hope that they have of heaven. That's what everyone, they hope for, the, the good life, the Jews he was speaking to at the time, but look at what he says. He says, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, he's articulating human nature and saying, In our pride, we, we are happy, content with this wide, smooth way. We, aren't really, we don't really care where it's going. It just seems to be the right way. Yet he's saying that that seeming is in our own wisdom leading us to a place where we are going to be under the condemnation of God because of our sin. Jesus says there is another way. It's a narrower way. It's a harder way to find, but in our pride, we aren't even interested. The reason pride is our greatest enemy 
is that it drives us farther and farther down the road of sin, closer and closer towards destruction. There's a, a British pastor named uh, J.C. Ryle from about 100 years ago, and uh, I'd like to read sort of an extended quote where he, he brings these two things together, I think, really well, really helps us to see the, the, the magnitude of what happens when we allow pride to rule our life and when we ignore the calling of God to see that we need help. He says this, let us, let us watch against pride in every shape. Pride of intellect, pride of wealth, pride in our own goodness. Nothing is so likely to keep a man out of heaven and prevent him from seeking Christ as pride. So long as we think that we are something, we shall never be saved. Let us pray for and cultivate humility. Let us seek to know ourselves aright and to find out our place in the sight of a holy God. The beginning of the way to heaven is to feel that we are in the way to hell and to be willing to be taught of the Spirit. See what he's saying there? He's saying that, that on, our, on our own, we will, if we do not see the implications and the direction of our life apart from God, then we will never have the hope of heaven. The, the beginning point, the beginning step towards genuine blessing, genuine help from God is a step of humility. It is a step of acknowledging, God, I need you. God, I can't do this on my own. God, I, I need your help. This, this is why pride is bad, why pride is dangerous, because it blinds us to the reality of our own sin, our own foolishness, and it keeps us, it keeps us from really receiving the salvation of God. See, God has always known that the answer to humanity's problems is not more of ourselves. It's not greater self-esteem for us, greater contentment and, and happiness at, at the things that we haven't even done, but we just want to feel good about ourselves. That isn't ultimately helpful. That, that, that's ultimately destructive. The real help that we need is found in him, and that requires humility. That actually is the beginning of faith. When you begin to realize that trusting in yourself will not bring what you hope it will bring. So we're going to turn the corner from uh, pride is bad to now humility is good. Hope you see the beginning of, of why it's so good, what it gives access to. Um, I'll give you a definition. If pride is seeing ourselves and God wrongly, then humility is seeing ourselves and God in the right perspective, see, seeing things clearly. So here's verse 19 from our, from our home-based verses. Uh, it says this, It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Which is an interesting way to say it. Because the impression it gives is that those who are proud, those who are following their own wisdom, the wisdom of, of humanity, the wisdom of the world, there's a lot of spoil there. A lot of treasure. A lot of goods. And, and we can see that. I mean, you can see people, people around us, people close to us, people in our community who, who have a great amount of spoil a great amount of goods, a seemingly great and prosperous life. And yet, and yet what it says here is that it's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than, than to go and partake of that kind of life. And the question we probably would ask is, well, why? Why is it better? It doesn't, it doesn't feel better in the moment, does it? To, to, to go against our own Wisdom to go and acquire things of, of greed and selfishness to get more for ourselves doesn't feel better in the moment. And yet here it's saying that it is better. Why? Because the treasures that come from hum humility are far more satisfying. 
and far longer lasting than whatever it is that we can gain through our pride, through our selfishness, through ignoring the ways of God. See, with faith in Christ, which is an act of humility on our part, a submission, a receiving, we are filled with greater and greater treasure. We're filled first and foremost with the forgiveness of our sins. That when we, we realize, Jesus, I need your help. I've, I've gone against God. I need someone to wipe my slate clean. In that moment of humility, we receive the forgiveness of sin. We have then peace with God. We, we have hope. We have joy. We have all those things that we're looking to get in small portions here on this earth, but in a much greater portion. Jesus said this of himself. He said this, I am the bread of life. This is in John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see there what, what he's pointing to. He's saying, look, through faith in me, you get something that you could never get anywhere else. I mean, you, you can get a pretty good life here on earth apart from Christ, right? There can be some measure of, of financial prosperity, relational prosperity. But at the end of the day, there is still death. Death comes to all of us in our sin. And what Jesus here is saying, though, that that doesn't have to be the end for those who hope in him. Those who have the humility to recognize that on our own, it's, we're not going to make it. Jesus says that, the one who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. Not just a good life here, but e eternal life. See, that's the origin of faith. Again, a first step of humility. And my encouragement to you, if, if you're here this morning, and you would have not called yourself you know, a person of faith, uh, would not say that you have a relationship with Jesus, mark what he's saying here. Mark the implications of what he's saying. This call to faith and humility is one that bears everlasting, eternal reward. And notice, the way to it is not, that, is not that we get humble. It's not that we figure it all out and then go to Jesus. The way to it is simply to recognize that we are prideful. Recognize that we need his help and, and simply in that act of saying, Jesus, I, I believe who you are. I believe that, that you on the cross, you paid for my sin and that I need your help. That that thought, that prayer of humility brings us into relationship with him, absolves us of our sin because of what he's done. That, that step of faith is a step of humility and one that brings peace and joy and happiness. But, but what you'll note throughout the Bible is that while faith begins with humility, it doesn't continue on with anything else. For those of us who have faith, we are called to continue walking in humility. Look at James 4. Uh, verse 6, of God it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The idea there is that those who are walking with God, to the extent that we continue to walk in humility, he continues to give more and more grace, more and more blessing. And, and that's, what we, that's what we're longing for. So how do we do that though? How do we continue to step forward in humility knowing that in our nature we, we lean towards pride, we lean toward uh, our own wisdom, how is it that we continue on uh, faithfully? I'm going to give you three things. Three things that are true about those who are humble. Three things that we see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, number one, we see that a life of humility is one that reveres God's word. 
uh, it's very clear that we need another guide, right? I mean, if we look at the way that we're going, everything that Proverbs says, everything that we see in our own life, we see when we make choices on our own, in our own wisdom, it very rarely goes well. But God has given us a perfect guide. God has given us his word so that we might be shaped and transformed and helped in every area of our life. This is one of the constant refrains in Proverbs, that we should, we should trust this rather than ourselves. Look at verse 20 from Proverbs 16. It says, Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs 3.5 is one of the most famous Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Both of those saying, look, if you're going to lean somewhere, going to trust somewhere, don't trust in yourself. You know how that goes. Trust in the word. But look at Proverbs 13, 13. It kind of pushes this idea even more. It says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. That language, revere, is, is even more weighty. It pushes us even more because to revere something is to treat it with with awe, with honor, with great respect. Now, I don't think many of us would say that we despise the word of God, but do we approach it with reverence? When we open it up, when we, when we read in the morning, when we open up our Bible app, how do we approach the word of God? Is it flippantly? Is it casually? Is it selectively? If we think back about how we've read the word of God, are there, are there parts of our Bible that are really well read and other parts we don't, we don't touch at all? Are there concepts and ideas that we just, man, we don't, we don't love and so we, we don't read about? See, what Proverbs 13, 13 would say is that, that there's a sense of pride there, that, that we're not revering the word of God. I want to give you a picture of, of how foolish this is for us to approach God's word this way. Okay, so I want, uh, want you to imagine that you have been given uh, a free, a complimentary seating at one of the best restaurants in the world. Okay, one of the most revered restaurants in the world. And the restaurant uh, I'm going to suggest to you is a restaurant in Chicago called Alania. Uh, the executive chef there, his name is Grant Ashatz. Uh, he is very often the, the top chef, certainly in the U.S., if not the world. They've been called the world's best restaurant. They're incredibly creative. The flavors, the, the whole presentation is all amazing. Um, this here is something they call the kitchen table. So if you wanted to go there uh, for $395 per person, you can sit right there where they're making the food. It's a very kind of intimate, personal dining experience. So imagine that someone gives that to you. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Okay, I'm going to go. For sure, I'm going to go. You sit down. But listen, imagine if you did this. As they brought out the plates to serve you, imagine if, if you did this kind of thing. You looked at it and you said, wow, this looks amazing. This looks is really great. Um, but there's just one thing. I, I don't love parsnips, you know? So I don't know if maybe, is there another legume that you could like switch in for, for parsnip? Could you just switch that out? That, that would be great. I'd really appreciate that. And then they bring the next course and you're like, wow, this, this is amazing. Look, there's all this. But um, I should have mentioned this earlier. I don't, I don't love the texture of goat cheese. And I noticed there's, could you maybe switch it out for like a mozzarella or something like that? Imagine if you did that through the whole meal. What do you think the kitchen would say? They would say things I'm not, I can't say. But, but what they would think is, man, what a fool. Like, wh why would you come to a world-class restaurant and spend all of your time trying to substitute different parts of the dishes? Why are you eating certain parts and not others? 
wouldn't it make sense if you're coming to, they have three Michelin stars. That's like, there's only like 20 restaurants in the world that have this. Wouldn't you come, shouldn't you come with a hungry stomach and an open mind and say, look, you're, you're a world-class chef. I should eat whatever you're giving me and trust that maybe it's going to be new, maybe it's going to be different, but it's going to be delicious. See, that's the, that's the heart and mind that we should have when we approach the word of God, right? That we are hungry for its truth and that we are willing to eat, consume everything in its proportions in whatever God has for us, trusting, trusting that God knows what's best. That's what it means to revere the word of God. And there's a humility there because very often we're going to come upon things that we're like, man, I don't, I don't know about this. I don't know if I understand it. It may take work. But a heart that is submissive to the word, that reveres the word, is one that will be blessed, that will hear from him, and that will walk in greater humility. So that's, that's the first thing, that we are to revere the word of God. The second thing kind of comes along with it, that we, would, that we are to listen to correction. Look at Proverbs 15, uh, 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Now, reproof isn't a word we use that much anymore. Uh, it basically means correction. And so what this is saying is, look, if you're to be wise, you are going to be willing to hear correction in your life. But the reality is that our mind, remember our brain, our deceitful trickster brain, because it prioritizes immediate positive stimulus, we often, we, we ignore or we avoid correction. Why? Because it feels crummy, doesn't it? doesn't feel good. When someone starts to tell you about something you've done wrong, we, we immediately put our shields up, right? If we can, we leave the room. If that doesn't work, we listen on the outside, but on the inside, what's going on? We're, we're, we have a defense mechanism. We're already trying to explain away everything that they say. That's, that's not totally true what they're saying. That's not, no, I didn't say it exactly like that. Ooh, I don't like the way they said that, right? If they really can't know that, I'm not going to, and we're always, we're spinning. We're mounting our defense right away. You might say, Matt, look, I, I do listen to correction. I mean, I get it a lot at home. Believe me, I get a lot of correction. And, and, and my question to you would be, okay, but are you really listening? Are you really listening with an open mind and an open heart, or are your shields up? Are, are you there present physically, but mentally you're, you're, you're casting off, you're deflecting everything that's being said? See, when we do that, we stunt our growth. Because if there are people in our lives who know us and love us well, it may very well be that God is using them to help us to grow. And so for us to really trust God and and to trust the people in our lives, it would mean that we would actually listen. Like, Like we would plug in. Like when someone begins to speak, we would focus. We would pray, Lord, help me. I I can feel myself already trying to defend myself. Lord, I pray that you would help me to see whether or not this is true. The hard thing there is, even in a situation where someone is sharing something about you in a way that you don't like, like maybe they're being too harsh, maybe there's some other motivation you, you can tell. There are very often reasons why we just sweep away the whole thing. Right? I'm not gonna listen to anything this person said because of the way they said it. Instead of that, what if we were to say, Lord, I pray you'd help me to see, is there any truth in that? Is there anything that you're speaking to me right now that I need to hear so that I might grow? That's evidence of a humble heart. Evidence of a heart that, that sees clearly our nature, which is broken, which is flawed. And it trusts that God's spirit is at work. 
So humility means revering the Word of God and, and being willing to be open to correction from the people in our lives or the Word of God. And the third thing that comes is that those who are humbled confess sin. We see this in uh, Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. See, the first two lead to this one. If, if we're hearing people correcting us, we're reading the word of God, we're going to see our sin. But there, another challenge is present. Because pride would much rather save face every time. Pride doesn't like confessing sin. We, we don't like confessing sin. Pride would rather allow sin to exist in our lives for weeks and months and years rather than admit it's there. I mean, it's right there where everyone can see it. People have talked to us about it. We've read about it. We've felt a sense of, you know, a bit of a conscience being, being tweaked, and yet we ignore it. Why? Because, again, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to admit wrong. It feels, it feels as if we've lost something. And again, that's, that's the deceitfulness of our own corrupt mind and our own prideful heart, that we would think it's better to remain in our sin. But the truth is that it only makes it worse. See, either... Either we will be weighted down by the guilt of our sin. Like either we will, we will come to a place of just being broken because of all the hurt that we've caused and, and can't get out from under the weight of it, or we'll, we'll be so hard to the Spirit of God that, that there's no good that God can do in us until, until we take a breath and we humble ourselves, until we admit that we've done wrong, admit that we've hurt someone, and we ask for forgiveness. See, the call to confession is a call to humility, and it is hard in the moment, but it's not a call to greater hardship because the long-term effect of confession is not harder and harder, but it, it, with it comes greater freedom. With, with confession comes freedom because the guilt of our sin is taken off our shoulders. With confession comes freedom because, because it means that we no longer have the burden of being perfect or being wise. With confession also comes freedom because the hardness of our heart is melted away and we can genuinely connect with the people around us. See, all of these things our pride keeps from us. It's why it's so bad and it's why humility is so good. But again, the challenge for us is seeing the goodness of humility, which in the moment is tough. In the moment feels like loss even though we're, we're gaining so much. And just to help us see the see the beneficial dynamic that comes from humility, I, I want to I share something else about humility, something that you might, not, you might not think about right away. The first three, you probably probably not a surprise, right? Revering God's word, listening to correction, confessing sin. That all sounds like humble stuff. But did you also know that in the Bible, humility, it, it doesn't, we begin low, but we don't end low. You know what I'm saying? So you might think, the Christian view of a humble life means, look, you've got to get as low as possible and you just stay there the whole time. And you just be happy because, you know, God's blessing you, but you're not going to feel great. Just that mindset is actually not the mindset of the Bible. With all this language about feeling low and poor, in fact, what the Bible says about those who are humble is that it leads to greater glory. In fact, we see this in the person of Christ. I want to read to you from Philippians 2, verses 8 to 11. It says this, of Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
That's his humility, his great humility. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the pattern of the life of Jesus? He was in the glories of heaven. Because of his love for us, because of his obedience to the Father, he descended, he, he, he was brought low as low as a human being, even lower because he died on the cross. A shameful death. But that wasn't the end for him. He was raised to new life and then raised back up to the glories of heaven. First came the humiliation, then the exaltation. First came the cross and then the crown. Do you know that's the same pattern for all who follow Jesus? We know, if you know Christian theology, you know that we're called to lay down our lives as Christ did to humble ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves. Did you also know that we should expect to be exalted as Christ was? We see it in scripture. Romans 8.30 says this, and those whom he predestined, he also called. This is speaking about God and his plan for all those who would be saved. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is the end game for everyone who follows Christ. And I mention this because, because we need to see the, the dynamic that exists in the moment. In our immediate context, there will be greater blessing for us as we humble ourselves, as we submit ourselves to the word, to the spirit of God. There will be greater blessing in the moment, but also for eternity. For in eternity, we are to reign with Christ in heaven. We, we are to be lifted up. In fact, if you think about it, all the things that we're hoping for in our language of self-esteem, our language of advancing ourselves, what do we want? We want a great life. We want a good life. We want to be significant. We want to be looked up to. We want all these things. The problem is that in our own power, we can only get so high. And in our own power, it all collapses in the end. But with Christ, we are lifted up far above where we can reach. The key, though, is that our access point is one of recognizing it's not in us. It's not our self-esteem. It's not, it's not pushing ourselves, pushing our agenda. It's recognizing that Christ has done it all for us and that in him is the pathway to greater joy and greater glory. So, so pride is bad, in case you missed it. Pride is bad because it blinds us to the destruction that is coming. Humility is good. Humility is great. Because it helps us to see our need for Jesus and then takes us along a pathway where we trust him more and more and more and then finally we are lifted up in glory, in the glories of heaven. So the question for us then that should be in our minds in light of this text really every day is what is the next step of humility that God is calling me to? This is a question that will be different for all of us. But in our minds, in our lives right now, Lord, Lord, is there something that you're calling me to that will reveal my heart of humility? Which means that I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put others first. I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to be submissive to it. Lord, what are you calling me to? If you get a clarity about that, then we should step forward with confidence. Knowing that even if our brain, even if our pride tries to hold us back, even if it tries to, to tell us this isn't going to be good, this is going to feel good, the trust that we have is knowing that through the pathway to humility, there is greater blessing and greater joy in the moment and, and forever. 
That is the call for God in our lives. My prayer for us is that we can go from this place feeling a sense of his presence and his power to do just that. So let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the call to humility, one, Lord, that goes against our nature, but one that is so helpful for us. I pray, God, for each one here. Lord, would you help us to turn from our pride, turn from our self-assurance, turn from our, our conviction that we know what's right, and, Lord, to submit and confess the fact that we don't. Jesus, in of ourselves, it will lead only to greater follow in our lives. I thank you, Jesus, that you were humble, perfectly humble for us, that we don't need to clean ourselves up. We don't need to be, be the perfect examples of humility. Jesus, that's you. I pray instead that we would simply trust you. We would submit ourselves to you. And Lord, that you would help us to see where it is that we can be more humble for the good of others around us and for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.